so we ditched that no pain, no gain, and uh, we emphasized the quality over the quantity. That Triathlon Show, episode 24. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, we have an interview with Kevin Koskala about swim training for triathletes. So swimming is a topic that we've covered before in several episodes, including we've had Carlin Pipes and Brenton Ford on and Jerry Rodriguez, and uh, yeah, especially the one with Jerry Rodriguez is one of the most downloaded episodes to date. It's uh, episode number three. So I know that swimming is a topic that you guys have desired to listen to a lot. So um, yeah, happy to oblige and uh, bring you another view on swimming from Kevin this time. And Kevin is the founder of TriSwimCoach.com. He was an all-American swimmer in college and has coached master swimmers and triathletes for years. And his approach to swim training incorporates drills and technique training and uh, combined with video analysis. And by that, he helps triathletes get more out of their stroke and be more fluid in the water to have a better triathlon swim. So things that we discuss on today's interview include how to structure your triathlon swim training to improve your performance and how to periodize it, how to make the big picture work. And then we go into, actually, we start with talking about the problems with the traditional approach to swim training, as Kevin calls it, the no pain and no gain approach and uh, the most common technique flaws triathletes have and how you can correct them. So that's something that I think that many of you will find very, very useful. And we talk a little bit as well about open water swimming and swim specific strength training so there's a lot to cover so i don't want to make this intro drag on much longer i'll just make it a really really quick teaser that after the interview some of you have requested that i give you small little nuggets of the latest triathlon research and science that has come out so i will do that after the interview and that's something that i've been doing on the scientific triathlon facebook page as well on a weekly basis so you can go and like that page by going to facebook.com forward slash scientific triathlon or just typing scientific triathlon in the facebook search bar but that's a side note uh, the main topic for today is swimming and now we're going into the interview to talk to kevin Feel free to take a, a minute or so to introduce yourself and tell the listeners what uh, you got going on and what it is that you do with triathlon and triathlon swing specifically. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is triswimcoach.com and uh, we started the site out of the desperate need of triathletes to get better at swimming because that seems to be the hardest in terms of the technique and, and really learning the sport to an adequate level. So it started with just giving people workouts because everybody was asking me as a swim coach for workouts to train for a triathlon. So uh, I designed workout plans that kind of could suit any level, different distance triathlons. But then what became apparent was that nobody was doing the technique properly. So doing workout, just having a workout plan didn't really mean much. So then uh, we started developing a series of drills that could help people get better at the stroke technique itself or for triathlon swimming and really took into consideration like my background as a competitive swimmer and then the what you need to know as a distance swimmer and triathlete especially uh, because there's a lot of different things that are involved when you're doing let's say a one kilometer swim versus uh, a 200 meter swim it's a, quite a different experience so so we put together that and we've been selling our programs on the triswimcoach.com site for quite a while now and we have a membership site now where people join and they, they get to join our membership group, which is the TriSwim Success Group. And then you get this step-by-step -step approach, step-by-step -step formula to getting better at swimming and to really start from the ground up and learn the things that you need to learn to get to the next level. So we have it set up so that it's just easy to go step-by-step -step and improve your freestyle. And then we also still have the workout plans and uh, we've got a lot of other like tips and techniques and, and things that uh, are, aren't really discussed that much out there that we really think that people need to know. 
And then you also have your podcast, of course, uh, Try Swim Coach. And I've been a long-time listener of your podcast, and I think it's really great. I learned a lot just by listening to the podcast, which is which is kind of fun that you can actually learn something to apply something in your swimming and improve your swimming just by listening to explanations. But <laughs> it does work. So that's really cool. Thank you for that. And you touched on it quite a bit already, but uh, the question that I want to dive in to right now is more on your swim training philosophy for triathletes and and how does that differ from a traditional approach that a competitive college swimmer or somebody like that or regular master's training programs would take yeah i love this question because it's it ties into our philosophy and what i saw a lot out there what i still see a lot out there is this training philosophy that people want to apply it to triathlon in general and that is like the no pain no gain and i grew up with that i i heard it my whole swimming life and my athletic career. And it doesn't work with swimming, especially with triathletes that are maybe in the beginner to intermediate level that either want to just understand and get better at swimming or, you know, to take it to the next level. So, so we kind of deviate from the, the no pain, no gain. And then the other side of that is the, the more distance you can get in your workouts, the better. And it's people generally have this quantity over quality because it's sort of a competitive thing. Like, Oh, I did, 3000 meters yesterday. And it's like, it's like they get bragging rights and then they feel better about themselves because they did more in their workout, but that isn't always the best case. And in fact, a lot of times it's not good to do more because you may have flaws in your technique and you're just solidifying those flaws instead of improving your technique. And, you know, maybe you're only doing a thousand meters, but it's like really good, strong technique versus 3000 where you're just you know, messing yourself up and going and being inefficient and, and not getting as much out of it. So, so we ditched that no pain, no gain. And uh, we emphasize the quality over the quantity and the quality comes from putting in the time to learn the drills, to learn how to swim the proper way for triathlon. Yeah, that's a very interesting point. And that reminds me of when I was, uh, was a teenager and was playing different instruments. And when when you play instruments, it's not about how many hours you spend. You can spend however many hours and, and not improve at all if you don't practice with quality. And it's just a bit the same with swimming because it's sw- swimming is really a sport that is focused heavily on technique. So right. you mentioned beginners and people at more advanced stages. And obviously, it will differ depending on the level that the swimmer you're coaching are at but can you give us just a general overview of how you how you, how you go about designing your training programs for triathlon swimmers on uh, let's say how do you structure drills versus intensity versus just regular easy swimming and the frequency and volume of, of workouts in general yeah before i get to that i wanted to just expand a little bit on our philosophy and this idea of a traditional approach because i think there's some other things before you get into the actual workouts and how much drill, how many drills you're going to do and how much intensity, I think it's important to emphasize that there isn't a good solid one size fits all approach to freestyle or to training for a triathlon swim. There are areas that I feel that are essential to proper freestyle, but there still needs to be kind of an open way of doing freestyle in terms of like, Some people do a little better with certain techniques. Other people do a little better with other techniques. And uh, that's where I think where we differentiate ourselves in terms of all the swim training programs out there is that I don't get stuck on one way. Like this is the only way and you have to do it this way. Where I see that all over the place, all over the internet, where it's like you look at YouTube or various websites and they're like, this is the way everyone needs to do it. But it really depends on so many factors. It depends on what level you are now, where you want to go, what races you're doing or what race you're, you're about to do, what part of the season you're in. There's so many factors here. And so, you know, I like to emphasize certain aspects of freestyle, like balance. We talk a lot about balance and then the pull. That's a super important part. But even with balance being one of those essentials, if you ignore, if you do that and then you ignore all these other parts, then it's going to be really tough to improve. So, and it'll take a really long time. So as far as the actual training plans and and how we structure weekly workouts or, or, you know, drills versus intensity, generally, you know, even though I just said it's all individualized, generally we are going to start with a certain length of time that's, that's geared towards doing the drills and really executing those drills properly. So, and that can vary depending on, you know, if it's a true beginner, someone that's just learning freestyle, that can be like two months of just doing drills. And it sounds like a really long time, but that's often what it takes. And I don't like to say it's a specific time period because everyone's so different. Like 
I've trained people that pick it up so fast for whatever reason. Maybe they just have an inclination of swimming, but they pick it up super fast. And within two or three weeks, they're already doing the, you know, they're, they're swimming really well, but most people, it's going to take a little longer than that. And there's going to be some lessons involved. So it's going to take, you know, maybe a month, maybe two months to get up to speed, to be able to go to the next level. So then, so after the drills period, then I recommend, or I prescribe getting aerobically fit before you do anything. So then you've got your stroke in order, you've got, you know, kind of the basics down, then it's a matter of building up that aerobic capacity. And so there's going to be a couple, you know, two to four weeks, depending again on when your race is, when, how long your race is and all that, we're just building up aerobic and that, and that involves some long swims and then also some interval training, although not as intense at this point, then I would get for after that period, I would get into some more tighter intervals where you're you're still building that aerobic base but you're also dipping into the anaerobic zone a little bit and you're improving your uh, endurance by tightening up those intervals so an interval for someone that's just listening that doesn't really know the terminology here in swimming an interval would be like let's say you're doing 100 meter repeats so you have like five 100s then uh, you let's say your interval is two minutes so so you you start the clock and then you do 100, you come in, maybe you come in at 145, then you've got 15, uh, 15 seconds of rest. And so then you do that with every workout for a while, and then you start to improve. So then the next time, maybe a week later, you can drop it to 155 and still get 15 seconds rest. So that's the idea with interval training. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of the season. And then after that, we want to we want to add in some sprints. So we really like sprints. Like the Trisimplus philosophy involves some of that anaerobic training with sprints because that's going to be where you really make the gains in terms of going faster. And uh, there is a need to go faster. We talk a lot about efficiency and, and conserving energy for a triathlon. But for, you know, depending on the level you are, some people have a need to go faster in the swim. So that's going to come with the sprints and the anaerobic training. So that, that will be in the next couple, two to three to four weeks of you know, still doing the, the workouts where you have interval training and some distance, but then incorporating some sprints. And then some workouts are just sprint focused. So maybe you're only doing like 1200 meters the entire workout, but a lot of that is really high intensity. And, but that's your whole workout. So you get a lot of rest you go really fast and you get a lot of rest and you're not, not doing a lot of yards or, or, or meters. I guess just to wrap that up, then, then you go into like a taper phase and that can vary again quite a bit. But, um, with, my philosophy on taper is you don't want to drop your distance that you're doing dramatically. You're, you can drop it gradually, but even right before your race, the week before your race, you don't want to have it so that you're going like, let's say your race is a, um, is a one kilometer swim. You don't want to drop it so that you're going, you know, you're only doing like 500 meters the week before the race, because you'll start to lose a little bit of that endurance. So you want to keep those um, yards or meters up as high as it, what makes sense for you. Definitely, that that makes a ton of sense, and especially since given that uh, swimming is the one sport of the three in triathlon that you can recover the fastest from, compared to running and biking, so you can keep your your fitness, your endurance up with the swimming, but still recover relatively fast while you're dropping your running and and cycling volume much more dramatically compared to the swimming volume. And right. also going back to the swim, uh, the sprints that you talked about, that's something that I found personally at least that helps a lot with technique development. You really. Mm -hmm. Because you really notice if you do even the smallest mistake in the sprint, then it becomes really noticeable and, and pronounced just because you're trying to go fast and, and with a powerful stroke. So every single error in your or flow in your technique, that becomes really noticeable. So as for the next question, you mentioned like beginners and doing a lot of drills and, uh, and trying to get the technique right before going into any more structured interval training. So what are the most common technique problems that you see with triathletes in their swing form and how do you go about correcting those flaws that you see yeah this is another great question there are so many common mistakes that that i see and that we see at triswim coach and so we have a with our program uh, the swimmers are allowed to send me their video and then i'll critique it and oftentimes it, i see the same three or four mistakes and so it's easy for me to just rattle off, like, here's what you need to do. But I'll, I'll kind of run through those, like what we see the most. And this isn't not necessarily in order. These are all pretty common 
But the first one is breathing. People get the freestyle. They actually swim a pretty, you know, after they go through some of the drills and they work on their technique, maybe they work with a coach for a while, they can get to a certain point where it's like everything is going pretty well and everything feels pretty smooth to them. But breathing is another story. That, that's where everything kind of gets thrown off because most people, the mistake they make is they lift their head to breathe. And it's kind of hard to explain over an audio. But if, some, if people are watching the video, it's like, it's like you're instead of going to the side, you're actually lifting your head all the way up and looking up at the sky. And, st- and, and that, what that does is it drops your other arm down. So your, uh, your body, your mind, you th- it thinks that you're falling. So it'll just start protecting you with your other arm. So then you drop your arm down and you're missing out on that propulsion with that arm. So that causes a lot of problems. So that's why the breathing thing is, is the biggest mistake that people make. And they, they aren't able to get to the side because they are possibly most likely not balanced in the water. So they're, they're extending their arm. And then as they go for a breath, it just, everything just kind of drops down and then they're looking up and then everything gets worse. So you're getting very little propulsion there. So, so we, we start with the balance drill. So that's just kicking on your side. And uh, then the shark fin drill, which is just kicking on your side and then lifting your elbow up. And those two kind of really help with balance. And I recommend doing them if it's your first few times, I recommend using fins like the zoomers. And that makes it a lot easier to execute the drill. Yeah. And then that second thing would be the head position with, with that. Uh, sometimes people have their, their head position is a little off and that can make it difficult to, to really, uh, to breathe. So you want to look, instead of looking, well, first of all, instead of looking up, when you swim, you want to look a little bit down at least. And then when you go to breathe, you want to focus on breathing to the side. So there's another drill where you can practice where you just have your head to the side and just try to get your mouth uh, just above the water, just above the surface of the water. And uh, that's a good one to practice because that's where you really ultimately where you want to be. And if you're not there, if that seems crazy right now and that you might drown, <laughs> then practice the balance drills because that's what's going to get you there eventually. And then more, the more you practice the swim doing that, the easier it's going to become. So the second thing I would say common mistake is the sinking legs. Uh, this is something that I see with triathletes all the time. And this is also balance and head position. So it starts with balance. So the, like I said, those two drills that I just mentioned, you could also do those for the sinking legs. And if you do have this, if you have your hips and legs are sinking while you're swimming, then put on a pair of fins to do these drills because that will help accelerate your progress here. And, uh, and so then that's the, the, the balance would be the first thing. And then the head position, again, if you're looking up when you're swimming, your hips are likely going to sink. So that happens all the time with triathletes, especially if you have like low body fat, which you see a lot of triathletes, you're really going to be sinking. So just drop your head down a little bit and you can kind of tell uh, while you're swimming, you'll drop your head, you'll feel your hips kind of rise up a little bit. And if you're not, if you're still too high, you, you can tell. So you, you want to just keep going. You want to have a little bit of the back of your head out of the water while you swim. And, um, and it's, again, it's, it's easier to see on a video than to explain, but, but that's, that's kind of the, the way to fix that. And then rotation. So hip rotation, this is another one that most people learn to swim, at least in the U S I don't know how it is in Finland. Maybe you guys have a more advanced, uh, swimming technique when you're, when you're learning as a kid, but here in the U S it's always been taught this red cross method, which is using your arms and legs to swim. Like you first learn how to, how to move your arms in the water. And then you, then you learn the kicking and you blow bubbles. And I mean, all these things are, are taught. So we all learn this way, but what happens is you end up swimming flat in the water. So you're on your stomach the whole time. So you're using your arms and legs. And that's like the worst thing you can do for if you're doing like an open water race in a triathlon, because you need the energy to move on to the next thing. Cause you could muscle your way through like the, that method, the, the swimming flat method, you could totally do it, but you're going to be exhausted at the end of that swim versus using your hips to rotate yourself through the water, which may not even be faster right away, but you're going to save a lot of energy for your bike and run. Or even if you're just doing an open water swim, you still need that energy for the whole thing because it's uh, depending on how long you're going to go, that's going to be crucial. So, so body rotation. So we have some drills for that. So you start with just putting your hands by your sides and then rotating your hips while you kick. And that's another one where fins would really help to get that. And then um, elbow dropping. And that's very similar to what I was just talking about with breathing. But elbow, the elbow dropping means you will not get this high elbow catch that you probably hear about a lot or the high elbow pull. Uh, That problem happens is when you rotate and it may or may not be when you breathe, but you rotate and then your arm just drops before you even are starting to pull. So the solution to that is to extend your arm. So you have your head down, you extend your arm 
and then you bend your elbow and then you pull back. So it's, it's, a, it's an arm extension, bend your elbow and then pull back. And it's easier said than done. It takes some practice if you're not doing it right now. But the more you can practice that and the better you can get at that, the more efficient that your freestyle will become and the more you're getting out of your pull because there's this whole part of your pull that if, you are, if you're doing more of the kind of traditional way of swimming freestyle, which is to rotate and then drop that arm down, you're only getting like half of the pull that you get if you can do this high elbow catch or a high elbow pull. So the last thing would be runner's kick. And that's, I'm sure, Michael, you probably experienced this at some point because you come from a running background, but it's where your ankles are inflexible. So it happens to most triathletes that come from a running background because all that running, your ankles are going to be kind of angled the wrong way for swimming. So you want to just, first of all, there's, so runner's kick is going to, what it's going to do is it's, it's basically your feet act as anchors. So they're actually pulling you back as you swim. So, and I've seen it where people actually go backwards when they just kick because they have such bad uh, flexibility in their ankles. So if you have this, it's not a horrible thing. You can actually get over this really quickly by simply stretching your ankles. So just sitting on your heels, like every day, just do that for several minutes every day. That will help quite a bit. And that's like the first step of of getting over this runner's kick and and, uh, preventing those anchors from holding you back. And then uh, after that, I would recommend doing that sidekick drill that I mentioned and use the fins, use those zoomers fins because the zoomers and those other short fins too will work, but I like zoomers. They will kind of put your feet into the right position. So it sort of gets you used to being in that position. It helps with the flexibility. And then the third thing would be the vertical kicking. So if you have a deep enough pool, you can just jump in and either like at the beginning of your workout and the end or between sets or whenever you have time, just kick in place in a vertical position. And you may want to start with fins on your feet and then take them off after a while, but just kick as long as you can. Most likely you'll sink at first and then it'll get easier and easier. So maybe you can only go for five seconds at the beginning, but then as you build up, you'll start to uh, naturally develop the kick that you need to stay up on the surface so that you can breathe. And uh, that's a great way to just improve your, your kicking technique in general. So, so that's, uh, those are the, those are the, um, the most common mistakes I see. Those are really excellent tips. And I'm sure that many listeners will go back and rewind that part and see what specific problems apply to them and what drills you recommended. And, and that's a good idea. And you're also spot on that I did have the runner's kick and I went backwards when I first started doing oh, certain nice. kicking drills. But yeah, the stretching, sitting on your on your ankles, that really helps a lot. And uh, it didn't take too too long before before my ankles got some flexibility in them just, just practicing swimming and, and stretching. So it's not forever if, if you suffer from that at the moment. Yeah. The next question would be, how should you incorporate open water swimming in your training? Or how, how would you do that? And uh, again, it's going to be individualized, but what's your philosophy yeah. on that? Yeah, I, I mean, if you're in Finland in December, uh, <laughs> I would say probably not much of a chance of getting open water swimming in. Am I correct? That is correct. <laughs> but in the summer, I'm sure it's it's amazing there with all the lakes and all the places to swim. Um, so yeah, it really does depend on where you are. Even I've had some uh, members that are from Mexico, and you know the weather is pretty good in Mexico year round for mo- most parts. But they're they were asking me about what do you do when the pools are closed? And, you know, it's like, so there are, you know, there's some instances where it's, you don't even have access to a pool. So you kind of have to go to the open water. So there's, there's kind of a variety of different reasons to train pool and reasons to to train open water. Uh, But if you have access to open water and it's not too frigid outside, I do recommend getting in, you know, kind of generally as much as possible because you want to feel that what it's like to be in the open water and you want to get that feel for it as much as you can, especially if it's simulating the conditions that you'll be in and whatever race you're doing, that really will help a lot. And I recommend doing it with a wetsuit because, well, most places it's just too cold not to, but then you get used to being in a wetsuit. And that's another thing that some people wait till the race day to put on their wetsuit and then it's like a whole different experience swimming. So getting out in the open water and getting your wetsuit is, is really important. But it's, it's a tough balance because you don't want to, I know a lot of people here in San Diego that just train in the ocean and they hate pools. So they just don't, they don't ever get in a pool. And it's, it's like, and it gets cold here. I mean, it's the weather's, you know, generally fairly warm in the winter 
but it gets it gets cold in the ocean. The ocean is uh, Fahrenheit, like fifty six degrees in the winter. But but people just they can't stand pools. They don't want to get in the chlorine, whatever it is. So they just train open water. And I see a lot of those people. Their their technique could be a lot better. And I think that's where you lose uh, something. So for in season, if you have access to open water. Uh, I suggest that you get in the open water at least once a week. If you can, once a week is great. And then the rest of your pools or rest of your swim sessions would be in the pool because there's so many more things you can do in the pool as, as far as technique goes. You can, it's much easier to practice drills. There's, there's a lot of things that, that you can do with intervals and sprints and things like that, which you can kind of do in open water. But for the most part, it's just a lot easier in a pool. So yeah, I mean, generally like, you know, get in that open water once a week leading up to your race if you can, but keep doing, you know, keep going to the pool, keep doing the drills. And, you know, I think that's something that you can do throughout your training is keep incorporating those drills. And then as you get into intervals and sprints and things like that, that's so much easier in the pool. So, and I know people, I was going to mention, I know people on the other side of it that just train in the pool. They do not even get in the open water, like Alex Kostic, who he's not a triathlete, but he's an open water uh, swimmer. And he's won so many races around the world. He trains only in a pool. He, he does not train in open water, but yet he wins like so many races, like big, long races all over, all over the world. So it just shows you that you can, you can totally do it and you can get your fitness level up tremendously in a pool, even for open water swimming. So I hope that answers the question. Definitely. Just one clarification there. What kind of workouts do you do when you're in the open water? Or what would you recommend oh, yeah. doing? Yeah, mostly it's group training. So, you know, most people don't go out in the open water by themselves and I don't recommend that. Um, you know, unless you're just a really good, strong swimmer and you just don't have time or, or you're missing the, the right window of meeting up with people or something. But I would say always have someone there to swim with. So I, I look at open water swimming as if you can have fun with it, that's the most important part, you know, get in your, your, whatever you're doing that day, if it's one mile or if it's, you know, 500 meters or whatever, but, but have fun with it and train with the group and you know you guys can challenge yourselves if you want like but i would say at the beginning just try to get some distance in get the feel for it go out and and, and have fun and then you know have but have your little like i used to train with this group here in, in la jolla and we had like little contests we would go out and swim like let's say a couple miles and then but during that we would stop and take a break and chat a little bit and then we'd go have a race to the next buoy or something like that And those kind of things are always fun. And, there, and then just depending on where you are, like I like doing the thing where you swim, like do a, do a long swim and then jump out, put on your shoes and then go for a run right after. It's not exactly a brick workout like people you know, do, but, but it's, uh, it keeps things fun you know, rather than just doing one thing and then leaving. Mm, good points there. So the final question of this main interview segment is uh, just trying to keep it short so we can stay on time, but what's your take on strength training for improving swim performance? So do you have any specific strength work that you like triathletes to do that will help their swimming? Yeah, um, I recommend that they uh, look at Arnold Schwarzenegger and just copy exactly what he does so they can get really big and bulky and muscle up. No, just kidding. Um, I, no, I, I think there's... Swim, uh, strength training for swimming is, is awesome. I, I love it. And it's especially great if you are trying to get to that next level, whatever it is for you. If you are, you know, sort of at the beginner level, you want to advance to the intermediate sort of mid pack level, or, or if you're, if you're a competitive triathlete and you want to get your swim to the point where you're competing with the upper levels of your age group, the strength training is, is something that's really going to help. Now, as far as specifics go, it really depends on who you are, where you are in your training what race you're training for, how long the race, you know, all these things, there's so many factors in it, but in general, we like the dry land kind of exercises. So like the elastic tubing is great. If you can just get a elastic tubing and sort of simulate freestyle, that's a good start. I mean, that's a, you can get some workouts in there, just do some, um, swim interval. And we have some videos on this, but, but just doing that the simulation of freestyle and then jumping in and doing your swim workout. Um, that's a good way to improve your strength. But also, uh, like the Vasa trainer, that's a big one. Uh, the people, I mean, they're not super cheap, but if you are really serious about getting better at swimming, the Vasa trainer can, it's not only is it going to help with your strength, your power in the water, but it also, it kind of corrects your technique while you do it. So if you guys don't know what a Vasa trainer is, it's kind of like a swim bench. So you can uh, kind of do a workout. And if you're somewhere where you don't have access to a pool or open water or it's too cold or whatever, you just don't want to leave the house the Vasa trainer can actually substitute for a swim workout. Of course, I wouldn't recommend doing that all year round, but especially this time of year for the North Northern hemisphere people, uh, stuff like Vasa trainer is pretty cool because 
you can you can actually just do your swim workout at home and you're you're also working on your strength so uh there's a lot that you can do in the gym as well um chris ritter who i've done some webinars with and some some other things with is a strength trainer and he's got some amazing programs for specifically for endurance athletes that i that i like that are out of the gym and and you know it, to get into specifics is tough because it, i'd have to know where that person is but but yeah i mean just thumbs up to um to strength training in general sure sure so let's move into the rapid fire question segments here and we got five questions for you kevin are you ready i'm ready okay let's go what's your favorite book blog or resource related to triathlon or swimming I'm going to go with something that's not actually a, a book or blog, but a resource. It's a podcast and it's called Primal Endurance and it's with Brad Kearns. I've listened to, I think, just about all the shows now and they're really amazing. So I, I highly recommend any triathlete, any, anyone that's involved in endurance sports to jump on this podcast. What's your favorite piece of gear or equipment? Well, it's probably not too surprising to the listeners, but because uh, I've mentioned it a few times, but Zoomer spins are my favorite. That's going to accelerate your progress in swimming. And uh, there's no concern with getting addicted to them as long as you are using them just for drills and not for swimming faster. Uh, that's the big difference. So we use them for almost all the drills we do. We use zoomer spins uh, for swimming. We don't. We we don't. We rarely use zoomers because a lot of times people use them to get faster so that they can compete with their uh, teammates or whatever, and that's not going to help you. But so zoomers. That's falls in nicely with the next question, which is, are there any swimming tools that you think are overprescribed or overused? Yeah, I, I can't decide if it's pull buoys or kickboards. Um, <laughs> I, I have to say that, well, I mean, both of them are abused by triathletes quite a bit. There are some uses for pull buoys. So uh, despite the fact that I've written a lot of things that are anti-pull buoy, I'm not completely anti-pull buoy because there are some uses for them. But I think there are specific uses, whereas a lot of triathletes and sort of newish swimmers they put on that pull buoy and all of a sudden they're going way faster because they don't have to think about their balance in the water. But I think that the more you can work on that balance, the better off you're going to be. And if you use the pull buoy, it sort of gives you the artificial feeling of being on, on top of the water. And then the kickboards don't really help you. I, I'm not anti-kickboards either completely because I think there are uses for them in terms of like you want to have a social time with your swim and just get a kickboard and talk to your friend. I think that's great. But if you're doing it to get better at kicking or better at swimming, it's not really going to help because you're kicking on your stomach and you really want to be more on your side when you're swimming. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of a, sort of a pool boy and kickboard Nazi. So is there a personal habit that you have that helped you become a great swimmer? Uh, yeah, I'd have to say that it would be self-acceptance. Um, it's the idea of accepting where you are and not comparing yourself to everyone around you. And so I, I talk to a lot of triathletes on a daily basis that are struggling with swimming. And oftentimes I hear this thing of like, I'm so slow or I'm a horrible swimmer or I'm the worst or I'm, I'm going to come in last, whatever it is. It's all these put downs of yourself, but, but having generating that self-acceptance and this can apply to so many areas of life. I mean, this is everything in life and this is how to become happier with yourself in general. But with swimming, it's self-acceptance. Start where you are now and think about this. Like you are going to have a much easier time improving yourself, whatever you're doing, if you can say, okay, this is where I am now. Like, I, I don't know how to do all these things, but I know I'm here now and I know this is what I can do. And you have this, it's, it's really actually pretty awesome because you have so much room for improvement. Whereas someone that's like a professional, they just have little tiny areas where they can improve. So you as a, as a beginner or even like an intermediate, you're going to have like all these, this huge area where you can just make all these little improvements that are going to add up to, to bigger gains. And so it's exciting. You can keep working on this and experience this over the next few months or years. And uh, yeah. Excellent answer. So finally, if you could ever only prescribe free drills to triathletes and no more, what would those free drills be? Yeah, it's tough to narrow it down to three, but this is uh, kicking on your side. I mentioned that one. That's a, that's a really important drill. And if you can kick on your side, and again, with the zoomer spins, it would be awesome. The more you can do that. And then when I say that kick on your side, I mean rotate your hips and put your head down. So you want to have your hand extended, head down, rotate your hips. So your belly button is, is facing like one of the walls of the pool. And, and then roll just all the way onto your back to get air and take a few breaths so do this in a slow, kind of slow motion. It doesn't need to be hurried along. The idea is that you're, you're improving your body position in the water. You're also improving your balance. And you're getting, you're getting that feel for what it's like to be on your side as opposed to on your stomach in the water, which is that common mistake. 
And then the shark fin drill, which is just an extension of the kicking on your side, you're just lifting your elbow up. So it's, it's more work on your balance. And then it's work on that stroke recovery and getting kind of used to having that elbow bent. And then the third thing I would say would be, and this is a little bit different. This isn't actually a drill, but more of a practice. And that's the deep breathing. You can do this on a daily basis and it really helps. So there's all kinds of ways to do deep breathing, but um, there's a couple, there's two methods that I like and one I'm just learning now, but the other one I've been doing for years, uh, that, which is the, uh, it's four, seven, eight. So four seconds in, like one, two, three, four, as you're breathing in and then hold it for seven seconds and then let it go for eight seconds, count of eight. And this will help really calm your body down. So if you're trying to go to sleep at night, it's great. And if you're trying to calm down before a race, like that pre-race anxiety, it's great. If you're trying to to calm yourself down before you do a a workout or something, it's still great. I mean, it works for all these different areas. So I like that one. And then the deep breathing, the other one is the Wim Hof method, which I'm just learning now. So I don't have a a, a full on explanation of that, but I'm going to be coming out with that soon. But it's, it it is, it does involve a lot of deep breathing as well. So not a drill, but I, I highly recommend getting into the daily practice of doing the deep breathing. That's very interesting. Yeah, cool. Gonna try that one. I actually tried it for seven eight well, was that a sequence of numbers or yeah 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 yeah, yeah i tried it a few, a few times but that was a long time ago and i gave it up for some reason but yeah gonna try yeah. that again thanks for reminding yeah. me yeah so, don't do it too many times don't do it too many times when you first start out because you'll get really dizzy so it's like it's yeah, really weird yeah. like, when did you do three in a row and it's like whoa what happened so yeah just start off with one or two and see how that feels mm. so finally kevin Tell the listeners where they can connect with you and find out more and also uh, what you got. You told us a bit in the beginning about the programs that you have going on. And I also know for a fact that I'm actually myself watching your global swimming summit at the moment. But but tell the listeners where they can connect with you and what, what you got to, to offer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, so first, my website, trisomcoach.com. You can just go there and we have a blog there too. So we post blogs about twice a week. Uh, just all kinds of swimming related topics and we have videos going out. So if you go to trysimcoach.com slash blog, you'll see that. And you can also, we also have a, a giveaway. It's three common mistakes triathletes make and we have videos to explain these in detail. So all the stuff that I've been talking about, if you go to the website, you can just opt in, just give us your email address and you'll get all that for free and we'll analyze each of these levels of, of mistakes and, uh, and then, yeah, the, you mentioned the Global Swimming Summit. I appreciate that. That's something I'm doing again with uh, my partner, Chris Ritter, and he's the strength training guy. And we, we interviewed several top-notch swimmers, coaches, and people that can really help with open water swimming and that have a lot of knowledge in that area. Some of them are professional triathletes. Some of them are open water swimmers. And, uh, and we, we got into some details on that, and we put together this summit. So the summit is actually starting now. But it's going to be going on through the end of next week. So today is October 26th, and you can sign up anytime. This is also free, so there's no charge. You can go in and watch all of these talks, and we did videos for each of them. And uh, so, yeah, so that's, a, that's another thing that we're doing right now is the Global Swimming Summit. I think it's a really good thing for anybody from a beginner swimmer, beginner triathlete, to somebody that is trying to get to the next level, trying to improve, maybe get to the podium. These are all talks that are really going to help you. And again, it's globalswimmingsummit.com. You can just go there and, and join at any time in the next uh, about week and a half now. And just one more thing I want to plug before we go. And it's, a, it's another program that we have called the Fit Triathlete. And we're, we're kind of rolling that out. We started with a kind of a beta version about a month ago, but we're, we're going to have a lot more on that. And that's kind of the trying to be fit as a triathlete as opposed to just being uh, race ready. We're, we're focusing on overall fitness. So it goes into things like fat burning and mindsets and, you know, getting the proper rest and all these things that are kind of around triathlon, not the actual workout plans, but the, but the overall optimal health and fitness. And we have a website there. It's the, the fittriathlete.com. Um, and we're not right now, currently, we don't have anything up, but you can uh, sign up for the future for, we're going to be releasing that in a couple weeks. We're going to have the new version out. So so that's something I really want to get people excited about because I think it's, it's what we're really doing the sport for is to be fit. So I want to uh, really promote that. It's super relevant. Definitely. I mean, most age groupers are in it to just get general fitness. That's, that's just a fact. Most aren't in it to be extremely competitive at their age group level. So, so cool that you have that coming out. And we're going to take just one listener question before, before saying goodbye 
uh, because we're running out of time here. But that question was about how to get over open water anxiety. This uh, listener wrote in by email and uh, is fairly comfortable in the pool, but, but really anxious when it comes to getting into the open water. So what would you do in that situation? Yeah, we actually did a course a while back called Open Water Swim Success, and we focus a lot on this actual, this specific issue. This is where we took, we had about 10 people that went through this course, it was like a live course, and we spent a lot of time working on specific issues. A lot of people have this. I mean, that's so common, especially in triathlon, where you've got this mass start where there's just people splashing all around you, and there's a lot of physical contact a lot of times, and uh, even just ocean swimming in general, if that's where you're swimming that can be pretty stressful or swimming in a lake where you don't know where the bottom is. Um, there's, there's a lot of different levels of this. There's the feeling that there's something below you. And I, I've talked to so many people that have this fear of something in the water that might, you know, uh, there might be below you that you can't see that's going to come up and attack you or something. And, and that, you know, like that coming from the ocean that there are sharks out there. So that's a legitimate kind of fear. Um, but even people have it in rivers and lakes and stuff where there's no danger, but, but this is a, there, there's a few things that I recommend. One is that breathing technique that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. So doing that deep breathing before you get in, and that kind of calms you down so you can, so you can sort of focus more on your swim. And then once you're in and once you're going, so you, you start swimming and you start feeling that anxiety coming along or coming on, um, it's good to focus on something. Like uh, a lot of people, what works well is counting. So either counting your strokes, just, just counting one, two, three, four, or just counting every two strokes, so one, two, one, two, that'll have your mind focused on the, the thing that you're doing. So it kind of keeps you, it's that mindfulness, and you really need that mindfulness when you're out there in the open water. So the, the focus on that, those specific things and the deep breathing uh, will, will start to help you overcome that anxiety. And then as far as the, the race start where it's chaotic, um, that involves a lot of experience. Uh, if you have a group of people that you train with, it's great to simulate that. If you can get in a lane in a pool and just get a bunch of people in and just sort of know what it's like to swim around a lot of people, because it is a different experience than swimming in your own space. But, but also with the race, just one more thing to add to that is that, uh, I recommend not trying to get in with the pack. If you're a beginner, especially if you're a beginner, but even if you're not a beginner, like I do this thing where when the race starts, Go off to the side. So let's say uh, there's a, a buoy that everyone's trying to get to. Start off to the side, so way off to the right or something, so that you're not in the pack at all. So you've just got your own water, and you can just swim your own race, and you're not worried about what everyone else is doing. And you're not worried about getting to that buoy first or in the top 10 or anything. You're just swimming your own race. And um, that helps quite a bit. And, you know, the, the last thing would be to, as far as the race goes, is to start a little bit behind everyone. So let the gun go off, let everyone start, and then get in. And so you're not, you know, you're, again, you're not competing to the, for that first position because there's no reason to do that anyway. Nobody's going to win the triathlon based on that first, you know, 500 meters or whatever. Great tips. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. This has been super helpful. And I'm sure the listeners have gotten a lot of great tips about how to improve their triathlon swing, whether they are at a beginner level, level or are more advanced triathletes already. So yeah, th thanks, Michael. I really enjoyed being on your show. I, I think this has been a lot of fun and uh, yeah, good luck with the show. I, I think it sounds like you're doing a, a great thing here. Um, you've got the content looks great and I'm looking forward to some of the guests you have coming up as well. I hope you found that interview with Kevin useful. I know that there were several things that I found really, really incredibly helpful and uh, i learned a lot from talking to kevin one thing that i definitely agree on is uh, the concept of quality over quantity whatever quality is it doesn't have to be drills it can be some sort of very specific interval workout tailored for you as opposed to just going up and down the lane but quality over co quantity in general is something that i think is is critical for for the time crunched age group triathlete that most of us are so uh, as uh, one thing that I should mention at this point is probably that we've had now four different interviews with different swim coaches on. And uh, if you have been with us from the start, you may have noticed that they all have slightly differing opinions, not always contrasting, but sometimes they are actually very much contrary to each other's in, in sp certain specific points or details or cases that they teach 
So that's something that I wanted to bring up at this point. How should you make sense of these different opinions? I think that the best thing to do, there, there's not just one way to swimming success. So none of these uh, interviews or what I say about my opinions on swimming, nothing is to be taken as gospel. It's all about what eventually will end up working for you and you need to find that for yourself. And I know that personally, for example, I've had influence from both my own coach, obviously, but also from things that I learned from, uh, for example, Jerry Rodriguez, um, as I mentioned on the interview with him, the things that I learned from listening to his podcast has helped me a lot in my swimming, but also some things that I learned after talking to Carlin on episode nine, I believe it was, are things that I have incorporated. So some things that coaches say, specific coaches say, have worked for me and some things haven't so i just test things out and see what works and what doesn't and keep the things that do work and discard the things that don't work for me and uh, then i replace them with something else whether it be my own thoughts on swimming or something that somebody else has influenced me to doing and that is what you need to do as well you need to not listen to these interviews and take them as gospel but Take them as ideas and inspiration for what you can do, what you can try and see if your swimming improves. Because that is the only way you can measure whether what you're doing is the right thing. If your swimming is improving, then you are doing the right thing. So try these things. And if something doesn't work for you, then don't stick with it for an eternity, but try something else instead. And I will say right away that there are several things that many of my guests have said on swimming that I don't agree with they don't work for me and uh, some of them don't work for my athletes that i coach some of them do work for my athletes even if they don't work for me so it's it's a game where you really have to try and it's search and find basically can can you find what works for you in terms of swimming it's a frustrating sport in many ways <laughs> i think for us that don't come from competitive swimming backgrounds but on the other hand it's also fun to see when you get that aha moment and you find those things that works it's it, it makes all those hours in the pool countless hours worth it so that's something that i wanted to make very clear at this point that that it's not all black and white and there are many ways that you can become a better swimmer and not just one and when there are differing opinions on different topics it doesn't mean that any of them are wrong or right or anything like that there are different ways to swimming success and you need to find the combination of ideas that works the best for you. Okay, so what I teased about at the front of this episode was uh, a quick update on triathlon research and science. And this is something that I've been posting weekly on my Facebook page, which you can find by searching for scientific triathlon in the Facebook search bar. And this week, what I found was a new study that was released in the Journal of Strength and Conditioning Research. And it's about heat training, which uh, I like to call the new altitude training because the evidence is piling up on the benefits of heat training and has been for a long time, to be honest. But uh, more and more is coming along and people are becoming more and more aware of it. So this particular study was uh, really small with just nine subjects. But the reason that I include it is, of course, because the actual topic, heat training, is one that I think is really important and something that you can actually do. If you have a an indoor trainer, then you can just don't use the fan and put it in front of a big window when the sun is shining and you get your own heat training protocol because it will get hot. So, uh, as I said, nine subjects and uh, they measured running performance by a 5k time trial on the treadmill in 32 degrees celsius when using a five-day heat acclimation protocol and they had also a couple of other groups one control group that didn't do the heat acclimation but then they had a group that did no heat acclimation but they did some pre-cooling before the performance and then a final group that did pre-cooling plus the heat acclimation protocol 
But the main takeaway, I will link to this study in the show notes so you can have a look. But pre-cooling before the test offered no statistically significant additional performance benefits. But uh, the heat acclimation protocol, even a short one as five days, did offer a 6.6% performance improvement compared to the control condition. And that was a statistically significant difference. So just to cite the researchers or the study, heat acclimation achieved through cycle training yields a larger ergogenic effect than pre-cooling on 5km running performance in the heat, although pre-cooling remains beneficial when heat acclimation is not possible. So they did find an effect of uh, pre-cooling when they did, did not combine it with heat acclimation. I don't remember actually if that was statistically significant, so that conclusion may be a bit poorly worded. I don't want to say for sure that that, that pre-cooling was statistically significantly effective compared to the control condition. It was a couple of days ago when I read the study, so so I can't say for sure. But definitely heat training is something that you can do, and it's something that can bring massive benefits, and not just if you're uh, racing in the heat, but if you're racing in temperate conditions, like I certainly am here in Finland, then that can be beneficial for me as well. So something that I'm curious to try out, and also something that I definitely want to bring on some researchers on the show to talk about in a bit more detail how exactly to do that. Let me know if that's something that you'd like to listen to. All right, we're coming up on the end of this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. In the next episode, we'll talk about zone training in swimming, biking and running, because that's something that many triathletes are aware of, that it's um, effective, but not everybody does zone training and not everybody does it correctly so that's something that i think that we should cover and uh yeah so that that's it uh, remember to subscribe to this show and uh, if you like the show can you please do like so many people have done already and email me and i'm so grateful to all of you for example i recently had a conversation with with chris a listener called chris and he had talked about the show to his entire triathlon training group in in the united states 500 members or so 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 that was uh, super exciting to hear thank you for that all the other ones uh, all the other listeners as well if you would like to spread the word and tell your friends that really helps out a lot and i'm super appreciative of that as always thank you so much for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon <laughs>